Welcome to the Pantsuit Nation podcast. Pantsuit Nation is an online community of 3.8 million people who have come to resist the current administration through activism, advocacy, and the power of personal narrative. Um, So I am here today by myself. Um, Libby is not joining me, um, but I have a really exciting conversation coming up with Rachel Cargill, um, who you probably remember from our podcast back in January, where she discussed her work as an intersectional feminist. Rachel's work is rooted in providing resources and critical discourse around issues that we find at the intersection of race and womanhood. And Rachel is currently living in New York City, attending Columbia University. And for the 2018 and 2019 academic year, Rachel is touring Unpacking White Feminism, her signature live lecture exploring the history of feminism through the lens of race. Um, So part of the reason why Rachel is joining us today is that last week, um, two things happened on Instagram that really highlight the challenges of being a black woman in the world of feminism. The first thing is that Rachel created a post asking why prominent white women in the feminist movement had not stood up for, posted about, commented on what happened to Nia Wilson, the woman who was killed at the BART station in Oakland. Um, She called these women in, asking white women um, who were feminists with a strong platform to buck the feminist tradition of excluding black women and give voice and space to Nia's story. Some of Rachel's followers confronted some white women who run feminist Instagram accounts, and in response, one particular white woman on Instagram became very defensive about her status as an ally and responded by posting about Rachel on her own page to her followers. Those followers then came after Rachel, calling her names, threatening her, um, threatening her followers, and more. Um, And the second thing that happened is that Rachel created a post asking for only women of color to comment, to process how we were feeling after the news of Nia Wilson's murder. So likely in reaction to the anger felt towards Rachel, that post was reported and deemed by Instagram to have violated community standards, um, presumably for asking non-people of color and non-women not to comment. And it was eventually taken down, which deleted hundreds of comments and support of women of color. Um, The backlash from this group of supporters of this one white woman um, has shown the racial cracks in feminism as it currently stands, that a person in a position of privilege and power who sees themselves as an ally can become so defensive at the suggestion that their allyship needs to go farther than um, that they can turn around and attack a person that they claim to be in support of is hugely problematic. And Rachel has um, kindly been willing to join me today to unpack some of what has happened. So Rachel, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. What an introduction. (laughs) Such a lot has happened (laughs) over the last few days. So that was a lot, but I'm so happy to be here to kind of talk about this. It's it's hard to believe that all of what I just went through has really unfolded in like a week. Um, yeah. So it's I'm really really uh, glad that you could join us. And I wanted to start by first asking you, you know, how are you? You you have had all of this on your shoulders. I'm well. Um, I have been very intentional on um, ensuring that I'm just staying in touch with myself, with my mind, with my body, going to therapy, you know, being very um, just aware of myself and practicing self-care to the highest extent after a lot of this has happened. A lot of a lot of it is exhausting, like physically exhausting, very tired. Um, mm. I happened to be in Paris at the time that all of this was happening. So I was on a completely different time zone and still trying to stay awake and be aware of what was going on during the U.S. daytime. Um, so it was just, it was, it was very physically exhausting. And then um, 
just frustrating mentally. So I've been doing everything in my power to maintain myself, you know, like going to therapy and getting massages and doing as much as I can to just stay to stay well. I'm really glad to hear that. It's so critically necessary um, to take care of yourself as you are, um, you know, honestly taking care of a lot of your followers on Instagram and a lot of people who are are feeling the pain of of what's been going on here. Um, so let's let's dig in a little bit. So this experience on Instagram, unfortunately, um, is not unique to Black women working in mm-hmm. feminist spaces. Um, I can speak from experience, having an almost identical backlash in a similar situation when trying to create space for women of color to speak um, uninterrupted in Pantsuit Nation. Mm-hmm. So what are you, um, in terms of your work, taking away from this experience for the workshops and educational trainings that you host? Um, I'm, I'm interested in how you might incorporate this you know, very intense thing into the work that already so well dovetails with this kind of situation? Well, I think what I'm seeing and which what is maybe it's it's a weird thing because it's the most disheartening as well as the clearest indicator that this work still needs to be done is that when I'm going into these spaces and teaching on the subject, it's how like willfully um, or I should say willingly ignorant white women have been to all of these issues. So when I bring up something mm. that's that's happening and they'll be like, oh, well, yeah, I did notice that, but I didn't think about how that affects Black people or I didn't think about how I was complacent in what was happening. And so it's there's a lot of frustration that I'm experiencing. And um, like I said, it's also a fuel that this work still needs to be done and continues um, to be urgent is that it's, it's a little terrifying the way that a lot of women who very prominently and proudly say, yes, I'm a feminist and I'm an ally and I'm intersectional. But as soon as you start really digging into the realities of what privilege looks like and what white supremacy actually is and the fact that, you know, these men are married to white women and these white women are birthing these boys who are growing up to be white supremacists. And when you really start digging into it, there's a, uh, as we saw, both a defensiveness and, and a very odd, um, brushing away of like, oh, I didn't know that. But if, if you really think about it, there's no way you can't know that. It's a willingness to let it go in order to maintain comfort. And that's what I'm seeing in, in a lot of what I've been doing in my work is having these in-depth conversations with white women who are saying they're finally waking up to what's happening. And it's unfortunate because um, it's something that they could have called out lo- a long, long time ago. Absolutely. Um, I... It's amazing how often that refrain comes up that, you know, I didn't know, I didn't mm-hmm. hear that, I didn't see. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really hard to, I don't know, I, I sometimes have trouble because, you know, part of my job and I think part of your job is that we're just tuned in to those kinds of things. And so my yeah. immediate reaction is like, how can you not have seen? <laughs> like, it's, right. I, it's just so hard for me. And then I'm like, well, I guess you know, there are, it makes me wonder about my own blind spots and where am I, you know, what are the marginalized communities that I am not tuned into and how can I be a better ally um, to those people? Um, And I'm wondering about, you know, one thing that's kind of an interesting parallel to this that you and I, um, you know, we've seen this, the mainstream media has actually been, has picked up um, in a couple of outlets on what happened on Instagram, um, particularly Mm -hmm. with your posts getting taken down. And I'm wondering, um, 
what do you think about having this being reported widely and, and how has the media um, been talking about it? And what do you think the outcome will be of kind of another story of a black woman um, finding themselves on the outs with Instagram? Well, I will say that the majority of the authors of these articles have been black women who are just reporting what's happening mm-hmm. in their lives, hoping that it gets the attention that it deserves. Um, I think that the way that it's, the, I should say the responses that I've been getting are people just completely appalled. Like, oh, I can't believe this is mm. happening. And what frustrates me about that is two things. One, it happens all the time. And if you don't see that it's happening, it means one thing. Either well, It means two things. Either you're not paying attention or your world is so monochromatic to you. It's, it's so full of people who are living an experience exactly like yours that you're missing out on a lot of the harmful and very dangerous um, lives and experiences that other people are having, and that's an issue in itself. So a lot of the reaction, um, I, I appreciate the awareness, and it's it's incredible that um, as the stories are being shared and as conversations are being had, people people's eyes are opening up to say, wow, now I see that something is happening. But I think that people need to take a step back and dig deeper into that and say, why am I so shocked about something that these people have reported has happened over and over and over? So it's awesome that it's getting the coverage, and I, I'm, my hope is that it allows people to dig deeper into the issues of silencing black women, of um, tone policing black women, and then also just opening um, their awareness to the, the existence of other people and how they could be complacent in it or how they're just so willfully unaware that um, mm-hmm. it, it, it just doesn't, it, it's not of help to anyone. Absolutely. Um, so we, I mentioned this at the top of the show, but um, you're currently touring your lecture, Unpacking White Feminism. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that work and how you see, you know, you mentioned this a little bit before, the need for it. But what mm-hmm. is, how does this intersect with this, these incidents that have been happening? I mean, it's very clear that they do, but I'm wondering, um, as you are, you know, I'm not sure exactly when your next lecture is, but as you're preparing to deliver this again, um, tell me about the mm-hmm. intersection of what you've experienced experienced and what you've been teaching over the last year. Yeah, it is incredible how the recent situation um, on Instagram in which that particular white woman came in and she really just laid out every single thing I've been teaching. She gave us a play by play (laughs) of what dangerous and toxic white feminism can look like. And so within my lecture, uh, what I what I do within the lecture is that I explore the racist history of feminism and a lot of um, the racist, um, just the roots of things that have been said by the suffragettes, how that's looked within different waves of feminism. And then I look at how it manifests today, because in a lot of lectures that talk about feminism or even that explore the racist history of it, it's kind of like, oh, that happened in the past. I'm glad that we've moved on. But my lecture doesn't allow for that dismissal. I I move swiftly into what um, what ways that racism is manifesting today. And then the latter part of my lecture is going into what ways we can begin to really um, dive into being the solution to those problems instead of letting them um, continue. And so, like I said, what happened on Instagram, it just, it, it, it laid out exactly what so much of what I've been teaching and many other black activists Black women activists in particular have been teaching about how feminism can be dangerous to black women, about how feminism, um, unless it's intersectional, it absolutely means nothing for um, women as a whole. And so it, it was very odd and bizarre how it all 
rolled out, but I couldn't have asked for a better example. And I did get many, many messages from people saying, wow, Rachel, this is exactly what you've been trying to expose us to. And this woman gave (laughs) us a live play-by-play of every single concept I've been trying to teach. Yeah. I, one of the things that I want to kind of emphasize is that, you know, you and I are, are talking about this. We're two women of color on the internet <laughs> pushing, yeah. pushing people to be better. Um, and as much as it was not surprising at all to me to see what happened, I like want to make sure that it's clear that like it's still extremely painful, <laughs> that it's not mm-hmm. like just because you and I and other women who are doing similar work to us are um, – not surprised by the behavior of some of these white feminists. That doesn't mean that um, we are immune to the absolute like emotional exhaustion yeah. that comes from defending your position as like someone who A should human. be <laughs> under the umbrella of feminism. Um, so I just want to make sure that as much as you and I like sound like we're <laughs> laughing um, yeah. you know we're very yeah. resilient <laughs> exactly like it's important to know that this it comes at a it comes at a cost um, that's exactly so why I, wanted... I made the post that said you know are you okay sis I made that post that gave mm-hmm. black women I said I know we're all grieving this we're all seeing this and I made that post even after the initial attacks from that woman so I was even creating that space to allow me to be in in community with other black women to say like, goodness, I'm going through all of this on my page in particular. We are going through all this um, witnessing Nia's murder as a collective community. And so as much as um, that space was to call all of my women of color sisters in to have this conversation, it also was a space for me to kind of find a bit of respite from everything that Mm -hmm. had been thrown at me in that moment. Absolutely. Um, So a lot of black women who have been digital activists, um, particularly in the wake of the 2016 election, have actually kind of changed course and stopped focusing the specific attention on education and the educating of white women or white people um, just because it is so exhausting. And Mm -hmm. situations like the one that you experienced this week are just all too common. And I'm wondering about how you feel about your commitment to calling in white women in your work um, and how you're feeling about the sustainability of that um, as a person of color who is, uh, you know, kind of running the gauntlet of this kind of thing. Yeah, I actually have this conversation often as um, it is something that absolutely has to be considered in terms of my own well-being and um, self-care. And what my answer to this is all the time is that I feel incredibly called to do this work right now. I feel incredibly Mm -hmm. equipped to do this work right now. And so I'll do it until I can't do it anymore. And I'm hoping that with the tools that I create and the resources that I form and um, just with as an example of what I'm doing, whoever the next woman is, the next wave of black women who are coming up to do this work out, because this isn't going to end too soon, um, that they're able (laughs) to kind of stand on the shoulders of me and the other women who have come before us to do this work in the continuation, because it's very true that this is not something that can be done um, 
sustainably without completely losing yourself or losing your mind or losing complete faith in humanity. And so I always say when I'm asked this question that I'm completely committed to doing it as long as I possibly can, because I feel like this is what I've been called to do. And I'm very conscious and aware that um, there will be people who will have to come in and take the reins just as I have done for women before me. And I'm hoping that, um, I'm just able to continue to build the tools and resources and build the conversation up for the next people who are doing it, but I'm still here and I'm going to do it as long as, as long as I'm able to. I'm very happy to hear that, Rachel, since you are (laughs) doing such amazing work. And, um, I just love to see you getting, um, there, you know, forgetting about all of this negative stuff, you're getting a lot of positive response to the work that you're doing. And it's obviously making an impact for a lot of people. Um, And I wonder if, you know, just a little bit of a glimpse into your work, um, what is uh, the number one piece of advice you have for someone who wants to be an ally to women of color? What would you say to somebody who... um, you know, first of all, I think it's important we say, you know, ally is a verb. You have to do it constantly. Mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. a name you give yourself. It is a name that you earn every day. Um, mm-hmm. But for someone that really wants to be doing the right thing as a person in a position of privilege um, on behalf of women of color, what's the number one thing that someone can do? Um, I think as, as white women often come to me and say, I want to be an ally, and I begin to get into conversation with them about what it looks like, the moment that their feelings are hurt or the moment that they feel discomfort, they say, never mind, or they back out, or they say, I can't do this right now. And I've seen that over and over and over. So um, my first piece of advice would be just to remember that Black lives and the livelihood of Black people in this country matter much more than momentary feelings and discomfort of white women. That there, and you can we can see that with all of the media coverage of Permit Patty and Barbecue Becky of these women who are feeling uncomfortable or feeling whatever it is that they're feeling, in which they decide that they're going to call the police and place a black life in danger in order to um, be more comfortable or to assert their feelings over the livelihood of others. So just remembering that black lives matter more than white feelings if you're really going to work at being an ally and to explore that discomfort and figure out why. And I'll tell you why. It's because there's deeply rooted racism in this country, but you need to explore it and figure it out. Um, and then listen to black women who we've, it, one, a few things that really frustrate me is, you know, especially with Anne Hathaway who came out and she said, we need to protect black lives. And then she got all of this fanfare about what she said. And it's like, thank you for caring we're you know we're giving her a round of applause for caring about a black life while there's been many 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 black women who have been saying the same message and didn't get one ounce of the public of the publicity that she did just for saying we should start caring about black people so listening to actual black women who have been doing this work for a very very long time and as you said be active do the work offline it's not just reposting something it's not just a a comment or a like it's having the conversation at your dinner table with your grandmother about race it's calling your coworkers out when they say a racist joke um in the break room it's being willing to stand up and speak out when you see injustice happening right there in your community in your home in your workspace um instead of feeling like going to a women's march or reposting a activist meme, it's not enough. 
Absolutely. I cannot, um, I, I second all of that, <laughs> Do, you know, doing those, the, obviously like the online space is really critical for both you and I, but it's so much more important that we are in our day-to-day lives. Um, you know, when we talk about storytelling at Pantoot Nation, it's always the, that first person experience that's going to make a difference. And it's going to make a difference when you say to your family member, your coworker, whoever it is, you know, this is not right. Mm-hmm. And we need to, we need to make a change. So, mm-hmm. um, thank you very much for, um, that was a, a little tidbit, little taste of, of what you can get uh, when you check out what Rachel has to offer. So Rachel, tell us about um, where our listeners can find you and your work and get more information and learn more from you. Yeah, I think my most prominent platform is Instagram, and you can find me there at rachel.cargill. Um, I have lots of conversations there, lots of challenges there, lots of um, meaningful conversation um, around anti-racism work. And there at the link in my bio, which I have a link tree full of resources, articles, Um, and other ways that you can begin to educate yourself, figure out how you can take action and get involved, and um, as well as my Patreon, in which I have a lot of other Patreon-specific resources, including an article club where we dig through recent events and look at how, um, look at that intersection of race and feminism, and uh, my lectures, I have lectures coming up where I'll be releasing the dates and the ticket links for my tours, but I'll be going all around the country. So wherever you are, you might find your city and um, you can come in and see my Unpacking White Feminism lecture, which should be, um, I should be doing that for at least through next spring. Excellent, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us. And please uh, keep taking care of yourself and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I will do those things, I promise. This week's Pantsuit Nation podcast is brought to you by Secret Antiperspirant. All right, let's clear a few things up about Secret Clinical Strength Antiperspirant. Number one, it is not actually a secret. You can tell anyone about it. Number two, it is clinically strong, which just means that it's good at preventing sweat. It's twice as good as regular antiperspirant, and that's why it's on the top shelf. Number three, strength is a cool word, and you don't really see it used a ton in women's deodorant packaging. So Secret was like, sure, let's shake things up. And number four, sweating is the worst. Number four and a half, not sweating is great. So you should buy Secret Clinical Strength Antiperspirant. So many thanks to Rachel Cargill for joining us on the podcast today. I'm really thrilled that she could take some time to talk with me. Um, So now let's talk about the calls to action this week, and we've got two for you. So this past weekend marked less than 100 days until midterm elections, a critical vote in order to take back the House, the Senate, um, governorships, state houses, um, in order to put some checks in place for the Trump administration. Um, So one of the things that I need you to do this week is make sure you are registered to vote. So check today, visit vote.org and click on check registration status. It literally takes 30 seconds to determine whether or not you're registered to vote. So do it today. And if you find out that you need to register, you can also use vote.org to do that as well. Um, The second is that we need to keep fighting to keep Brett Kavanaugh off of the Supreme Court. No matter who your senator is, call them and tell them you want them to block Kavanaugh's appointment. It is especially critical if you live in one of the states where the three Democratic senators voted 
for Justice Gorsuch. So that's West Virginia, Senator Manchin, um, North Dakota, Senator Heitkamp, and Indiana, Senator Donnelly. Or the two most logical Republicans who would not vote to confirm um, Kavanaugh, and that is Senator Collins in Maine and Senator Murkowski in Alaska. So call your senators and demand that they vote against Kavanaugh. And if you live in New York, please call Chuck Schumer and demand that he keep Democrats together. That is critical. We need all Democrats to be voting against um, Brett Kavanaugh in order to make sure that he doesn't get on the court. So go to fivecalls.org slash more and click on block Brett Kavanaugh for the U.S. Supreme Court. You'll find call scripts, as always, and contact information for your senators. Let's keep this pressure on. It's really critical. So now it's time for this week's golden pantsuit, and I'm particularly excited about this. Um, this week's golden pantsuit goes to Octavia Spencer. So um, hopefully you are familiar with Octavia Spencer. She's an absolutely incredible actress. Um, I hope that you've gotten to see Hidden Figures, one of my favorite movies. Um, and it was just announced that she will star in a Netflix special about the life of Madam C.J. Walker. So Madam C.J. Walker is a woman who rose to become one of the very few black millionaires in the early 20th century through her line of hair care products directed at black women. Octavia Spencer has brought some fantastic characters to stage and screen. Let's hear a little bit from her address to Kent State um, for the graduating class in 2017 about what she thinks is critical to center when you are making your voice heard. We all have to continue to stand up for our beliefs. No matter what path you're stepping on tomorrow, please take that beautiful voice of yours and share it with us. We're counting on you and we want to hear you. Now, I do have an asterisk here because whatever that voice of yours might be saying, no matter what side of the political scale it weighs itself on, I'm asking that your words, your actions, and your voices be rooted in a true empathy for others. Understand each other and let that understanding shape your values. Our voices grow more powerful when they're together. They're more powerful when they're diverse. There are conversations and movements happening in our country right now that will affect each and every one of you. And it's your chance to contribute right now. Excellent advice from Octavia Spencer there. Um, I always think that leading with empathy is a really good way to make sure that you're going in the right direction. I think it circles a lot back to what I was talking about with Rachel earlier um, and making sure that you are putting yourselves in the position of other people um, in order to be able to be as strong of an ally for people that need you as possible. So golden pantsuit to Octavia Spencer for bringing this fascinating story of success in the face of every obstacle imaginable to life. Um, I cannot wait to uh, watch this show about the life of Madam C.J. Walker. I have known about her for a long time, and so I can't wait to see um, how Octavia brings her to the screen. Cannot wait to watch. So congratulations, Octavia. Golden pantsuit. So that brings me to the end of the show today. Thank you so much to my guest, Rachel Cargill, our sponsor, Secret, and to our team at Cadence 13. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please remember, if you leave us a review, that helps people find the show more easily. Visit us at pantsuitnation.org. Um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at pantsuitnation. And please subscribe to our Facebook Messenger platform by going to our Facebook page and clicking Sign Up. We're trying to get 1 million people to um, commit to vote by Election Day in November. So on there, invite your friends, and um, help us get to that goal of 1 million people. And we'll be back next week. And until then, remember that this democracy is your democracy, so stay engaged.